you had your own Elizabeth Taylor moments, didn't you, Martin? Weren't you a walker <laughs> of hers at well, one point? Well, I would like to say that when I tried the crop diamond on, it didn't look fake. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. And we ended up spending one of the legendary evenings of my life, which was sitting in bed with Elizabeth Taylor, uh, eating fried chicken and trying on tray after tray of her jewels. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. With the Oscars only a few days away, I wanted to start the first episode of my podcast, Looking at Hollywood Jewels. It's interesting that historians don't talk about what Janet Gaynor wore to the first ever Academy Award banquet in 1929. It wasn't until the following year when Mary Pickford collected her Best Actress statuette, blazing in diamonds for her performance in Coquette, that the world took note of Hollywood's fabled glamour. Coquette became a box office success, Pickford's place as a movie star was assured, and Jules and Hollywood have been a sparkling union ever since. Today we're going to discuss old and new Hollywood jewel styles with real Hollywood royalty. I'm delighted to say Victoria Brunner is joining us from LA. She's the daughter of Academy Award winning acting legend Yul Brunner and Chilean model Doris Kleiner, who was Audrey Hepburn's best friend, and who asked her other bestie, Elizabeth Taylor, to be Victoria's godmother. Victoria's background is photography and she's founder of Stardust Brands, which does exactly what it says on the tin, linking stars with brands, providing casting and creative consulting in the luxury world. Victoria's joined by Martin Lawrence Bullard, the LA-based television personality and award-winning interior designer whose second favourite thing is jewellery. He's an avid jewel watcher who designs ring collections and whose glittering client roster is a veritable who's who in Hollywood, including anyone called Kardashian, Chloe, Courtney, Kylie Jenner and Ava Mendes, Cher, Ellen Pompeo are just a few of the glamorous names who come to his Melrose Avenue atelier. Hello, Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Cara. Lovely to be chatting with you and, of course, with the fabulous Martin. And where are you? Are you in L.A. right now? I'm in Los Angeles in a very rare rainy day today. Oh, bingo. It's the same in London. And Martin, thank you for coming and joining us. And you're in Los Angeles as well. It's always a pleasure. Yes, I'm coming at you live from my living room right now. But we can see some lovely palm trees out at the back and um, <laughs> glimpses of sun. Uh, as Victoria said, it is a little rainy day today, but the palms are always here in Hollywood. So today we are going to discuss the fable glamour of Hollywood, the old and new Hollywood styles. I want to really pin down what you think, Victoria, is the zenith of the great 
jewellery on the red carpet. When do you think that era was for the best jewellery? You know, in, in sort of preparation about our conversation, I wanted to make sure that I was accurate. And I went back and looked at the 30s and the 40s. And I think when people went back to wanting the glamour and the beauty, um, jewellery started making appearance in film. And there was a very famous um, costume jewellery maker called Joseph. And he's the one who went and did replicas of very famous pieces of jewelry, specifically for costume designers and specifically for movie stars, specifically for the movies. And following that, I think that really set the trend for wearing big pieces and earrings and brooches and things like that. And then he started a um, sort of a mass collection that was available for purchase where you could go and buy actually looked at prices. They went from 7 to $12 uh, for each item. It was absolutely extraordinary. So I think it slowly started then and probably with the studio system and the studios really publicizing their movie stars and making them into commodities and developing this whole culture of the red carpet and the premieres and how fabulously glamorous the movie stars, both in those live events and in publicity imagery. Um, so I think that's really when it when it started that whole idea of the glamorous movie star. And what about on the red carpet, the actresses wearing it that we sort of imagine the Academy Awards and everybody waits for those big jewelry moments? Do you think that the fifties was a time that really sort of encapsulated that? Yeah, I think that's really when it started, sort of following that desire for glamour and fabulousness, following the thirties and the forties and the studio system publicizing these girls to look as glamorous as possible, um, that's when it went onto the red carpet. Furs as well, right? <laughs> Jewelry and furs and dresses. And I think there was a huge um, a resurgence of haute couture in the 50s. Christabel um, Balenciaga and Christiane Dior. So the whole thing was sort of uber glamour. Yes. But do you think it's, it's fair to say that your godmother, Elizabeth Taylor, didn't invent the idea of wearing fine jewellery on the red carpet, but she did it better than anyone else. Well, I think she really... I don't think she invented it, but I think she really loved it. Um, and she just adored jewellery. They were sort of like her extended family, her jewellery collection. Do you think that was the biggest love affair of her life, actually, with her jewellery collection? <laughs> I don't think so. I think Richard Burton still gets that one. But in close second, they would say the jewellery. And did you, I mean, being her goddaughter and being very, very close to her, did you play with them? Did you see them? Were they around when you were growing up? Well, Elizabeth had a very long process of getting ready. And when I say very long, very long. And everybody could just wait. Like She couldn't really tell time if the invitation was at eight. There was no preparation to be ready at eight. There was just preparation. And that involved uh, multiple hours sitting in her bathroom, she on the little stool with all her makeup, and she would always do her own makeup. And she'd spend hours, the lash and the eyebrow and all the details. Um, and that then went into what she was going to wear and what jewelry she was going to wear. So trays of jewelry would come out. And if she was traveling, then there was a jewelry case that would come out and then lots of decisions and storytelling and should I wear this but maybe I should wear that or do you remember when I got this one or I really love that one there was a lot of 
storytelling that went along with it. And would she try them all on in succession? Um, she would occasionally try them all on, but she certainly would look at them all. Lots of boxes were taken out and opened and reclosed and put back. It was quite, quite the process. So she'd travel with all these boxes of jewellery and take them around yes. with her? Yes, there was a famous night when we were in Stad and we were going to dinner. I think it was at Valentino's and um, she was getting ready and I went with my mother and my mother was very precise on time and was sort of like, okay, well, let's get on with it already. Oh, but hold on a second, let's look at this one. And then she'd tell the story about when Richard gave her that necklace and she really loved this brooch and she would have liked, to, she wanted to buy it and that's how she got it and... There was no rushing her. And did you ever try them on with her? Well, I love, yes, I always tried everything on and I loved to wear her big diamond. That was really fun. While she was getting ready, I would wear that. The crap yeah. diamond. Mm -hmm. Which on me looked fake. I think it looked fake on everybody except her. I think she was the only one who could really pull that one off. Um, and then when I got married, I asked her if I could come and borrow something. And I was having a party uh, in Malibu on the beach and Rick Owens had made me like a t-shirt and a skirt that was all beigey so I went an afternoon to her house and she had all her jewelry off the bathroom so she had me put the outfit on and then open the drawers and she'd go find something and she put that on and then she'd really look at it she wasn't really sure so I got to try a lot of things and for that particular event I borrowed a necklace of big uh, turquoise beads, a pair of earrings, which now I sort of forget, a Schlumberger ring and a Schlumberger bracelet. Nice. Which I, of course, didn't want to give back, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you, you probably know if this story is true, that apparently um, the Princess Margaret had been rumoured to have said that the Krupp diamond was um, rather vulgar. And um, when she met Elizabeth Taylor at a premiere... Elizabeth Taylor asked her to try it on. And when she put it on, she said, see, it's not quite so vulgar now, is it? How great. I didn't know that story. No, I could see that. She didn't really care about chic or not chic or vulgar or not vulgar. She just liked what she liked. And that went for fashion people and jewelry. And I guess as well as having her intensely personal pieces and gifts from family and friends, she had these historic pieces like the... Um, Peregrina Pearl from the Spanish Royal Jewels. Mm -hmm. Did she save the, that for special occasions or would she wear that as easily as she'd wear her Schlumberger pieces? Um, no, I think she wore them when she felt like wearing them. I mean, she wore jewellery every single minute she got out of that bedroom um, and she liked to pile it on. But her big, sort of really big, important pieces she wore to go out or just to events or things like that. She didn't wear them around the house, let's put it that way. So you mentioned Schlumberger. Who else were her, uh, her favourite designers? Um, you know, there was Winston, there was Schlumberger, there was Bulgari, obviously. She had some Cartier. Then she just liked things. She would sort of see something and lust after it and figure out who would give it to her. Anything she never got that she hankered after? I doubt I doubt that was a woman who got everything she wanted always. And then you were close to another 50s star icon, Audrey Hepburn, whose, I guess, her career kicked off in the early 50s, didn't it, in Roman Holiday? But she had a very different style. How would you describe her jewellery style? Yeah, I think it was just much more discreet. 
Um, and I think that in the 50s, 60s, she wore, it was a time where, where stars wore their own jewelry as they wore their own dresses. They weren't engaged by brands to wear things. So she had some pieces, she had some Bulgari and she had some Schlumberger and they were small and delicate as you would expect from Audrey. Just beautiful, pretty, delicate things. And then later in the 70s and the 80s, she started wearing costume jewelry. And she liked rather decorative pieces. Like if you look at them, because she had that beautiful long neck and that incredible chin, then she did wear sort of larger earrings and more decorative pieces. Fashion jewelry, I guess. And I guess they had sort of big lifestyles, these movie stars. As you said, they wore their own dresses, their own jewelry. Uh, can you tell me a bit about the importance of having them for their off-screen life as well? You know, off-screen life, Audrey was somebody who wore jeans and a cashmere sweater and barely any makeup and her hair pulled back and flats. And I never saw her in any kind of fancy anything. She was just a chic, understated, beautiful woman. And her life away from Hollywood was the life of a mother. So that's what she, she basically quit the films to be a mother and be at home until she would go back eventually and do a few films and until her work for UNICEF. So it wasn't somebody, you know, she had a house in Rome, a house in Switzerland, an apartment in the mountains, and she had people who helped her in those houses, but it wasn't the kind of lifestyle that you see today. I mean, she drove a Volvo station wagon and she liked gardening and she liked to be with her kids and my mom, who was her best friend, and her dogs. It really wasn't about this uber-glamorous, over-the-top, highly publicized private life, pre-Instagram, I guess. But your parents and Elizabeth Taylor, they must have gone to many social events and they dressed up for those, didn't they, at that time? Yes, certainly. I think that life, um, social life was also very different because it was different categories of people who mixed. So whether it was the Valentino, the Rothschilds or the Velers or the Patinos or people who had extraordinary lives and beautiful houses and incredible collections who threw fabulous parties, which they would attend, or friends with whom they would socialize. So yes, there was a certain amount of glamour in going out and wearing Valentino Couture and Balenciaga and pulling out your jewelry or your beautiful, beautiful minaudière for that particular event. Yes, they were certainly those. So they felt they kind of needed jewelry. Yeah. It kind of completed, completed the look. Yes. I guess the first time it happened in, um, there was a sort of commercial connection between diamonds and the movies was when Harry Winston loaned diamonds to Jennifer Jones to collect her best actress statuette in 1944. And I wanted to ask you, Martin, because that's pretty much standard practice now, isn't it? Yes, it's very interesting that the, uh, the jewellery world now has become very much a commercial endeavour especially for, for things like the Oscars, the Golden Globes, you know, the, the, uh, the music awards. The stars now wear extraordinary jewellery, but it's not really personalised. And a lot of the times this is done in a commercial way where they're being paid to advertise the jewels. So either the celebrity or the stylist is actually being paid or they're receiving jewellery as a gift um, for wearing it. So it's kind of a... It, I think the whole thing has changed a little bit. 
the, the wonderful thing of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, the great era of Elizabeth Taylor and Audrey Hepburn, is in those days they were wearing jewels that represented them, that were part of their personality, were the things that they wanted to wear, they wanted to feel fabulous and glamorous in. I feel that today, even though we see great glamour like Lady Gaga wearing the large Tiffany yellow diamond, um, obviously she was paid to do that. You know, it wasn't her choice to wear that and have her outfit created around it. It was a paid decision. So I think it, the jewellery game has changed a little bit with awards and Hollywood and the way we see it. So the stylists have taken over and everything is controlled by the stylists. I believe so. I mean, there are certainly some celebrities that have still got their own input. I mean, people like Madonna, for instance... You know, Madonna is a big fan of jewellers like uh, Laurie Rodkin and, uh, you know, more rock and roll jewellers, Chrome Hearts, etc. Same thing with people like Cher. You know, they love those brands that are more edgy and they tend to still wear that because it works with their look and their vibe. Um, but in general, we are seeing it's much more a selection by the stylist, for sure, or a commercial selection, you know, a paid-for selection. I came over to do a big story for Vogue for the diamond anniversary of the Academy Awards. And I remember talking to the Harry Winston people who lamented how elegant it used to be that they'd drop a little handwritten note to the nominees, inviting them to come and have a little look at their collections. And he was saying now it's so cutthroat and competitive. Do you find that around Hollywood at just before pre-Oscar time? I, I, think, I think so, for sure. I mean, it's not just the Oscars anymore. It's also, obviously, all of the music awards, uh, the MTV awards, etc., gather huge viewing numbers around the world. So all of those events have the eyes of the world's press on them, which means that everything from the shoes to the dress to the handbag to the jewels are something that the world is waiting to see. And because of that, it has become a major uh, rap race almost, you know? <laughs> How am I going to get my clothes on this person? How am I going to get my jewels on this person? So there is a big situation that happens with all of that behind the scenes. And, and certainly I think that, that various people are pushing more for one thing than the other because of the, uh, the monetary gain. Now, listen, one of the things that I wait for always when I'm looking at the Oscars or the Golden Globes, Globes for instance, just recently, is to see the jewellery. Because I love the jewellery. The jewellery, to me, exemplifies glamour. It's one of the things that I think adds real sparkle to the event in every way. And so it's so fun to see these things. And it's also fun these days because new brands, or, or rather iconic fashion brands, have newly brought back jewellery into their houses Chanel, Dior, you know, there's, there's amazing collections. E even Dolce Yabana are bringing out extraordinary precious jewels that we're suddenly seeing on the red carpet, and they're more fun. We're seeing multiple colour use, we're seeing floral explosions, we're seeing quirky things, and that's really fun to see. Again, I'm not sure it's the, the uh, celebrity's choice, I'm sure it's much more put together by the stylist, but it's still fun to see that rather than just the uh, rather than just the traditional houses. Wouldn't you rather see and know the star's real style? And when we have an image of, say, Audrey Hepburn or Elizabeth Taylor in our head, it's them. And I think if you now try and imagine um, Nicole Kidman's style or 
Gwyneth Paltrow, it changes all the time according to, as you say, what their deal is. Wouldn't you rather actually see the real person through their pieces? You know, of course, it was one of the one of the joys of somebody like Elizabeth, who had an extraordinary jewel collection, to suddenly see them appear at a on a red carpet wearing the Mike Todd diamond tiara. Because not only were you stunned by the jewel, you were stunned by the story and the love story and the and the passion that went behind the piece. And so to see her wear that on different occasions would be something that added to the event rather than it just being something, again, that had been pulled by a stylist. So you're right, we are really missing the personality of people because of this ever-changing loan situation. Does anyone wear their own jewellery now? Can you think you of know, a star who does? Yes. Jennifer Tilly, the wonderful actress Jennifer Tilly, she has an incredible vintage jewellery collection. Um, and so she always wears her own pieces. In fact, she's the proud owner of the extraordinary Paul Flato necklace, the uh, the buckle necklace made out of all of the uh, aquamarines and rubies, I believe. So there are people, and I think it's mostly the the celebrities that collect vintage pieces that you see them wearing their vintage pieces because they love them, they exemplify their own style, and it's really great to see that sitting on the red carpet. I, again, I see it more, though, with... Rather than the actresses, I see it more with the pop stars, with the musicians. Um, again, you know, people like uh, uh, Gwen Stefani, for instance, always wears her own jewellery. You know, she wears big gold bracelets that are that are Hawaiian, actually, that have all of her children's names in enamel on them. She wears diamond necklaces that say uh, Stefani and Shelton around her neck. That's her and her fiance. She wears her own jewels to these events, which is great because it is her own personality being shown. And again, that's what I miss, is seeing the personality, because you understand then really who the person is, rather than the look that's been created for them for that moment. You had your own Elizabeth Taylor moments, didn't you, Martin? Weren't you a walker <laughs> of hers at well, one point? I would like to say that when I tried the crop diamond on, it didn't look fake. <laughs> course not <laughs> and you gave it back <laughs> Un- unfortunately um no listen i had a, i had several amazing um times with elizabeth i uh, uh, of course victoria having elizabeth as her godmother has the most amazing stories but i had one amazing evening when i was supposed to escort her to an event and i got to her house and as i hear happen very often she decided at the last minute she wasn't going to go and so instead, um, Tim, who was her assistant, told me to go up to her marvellous lavender bedroom and visit with her there. And we ended up spending one of the legendary evenings of my life, which was sitting in bed with Elizabeth Taylor, uh, eating fried chicken and trying on tray after tray of her jewels. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I remember chewing on a, on a, on a fried chicken drumstick wearing the uh, La Pellegrina pearl around my neck. <laughs> so you didn't chew on it like her dog apparently chewed the Pellegrina pearl. No, I, I love that story when she lost it in a hotel room and found it in the dog's mouth. Um, but the great thing with Elizabeth was, as Victoria said, she had an extraordinary passion for jewellery. And I think the passion was not just about owning the jewels, it was about the story that went with it. And she would love to tell those stories. Part of my career, I used to sell vintage and antique jewellery. And um, 
I sold Elizabeth an amazing, I think it was 16th century carved amethyst ring that had an eros carved into the stone in a beautiful setting with Medusa heads and snakes. It was an incredible piece. But rather fantastically, I heard her telling somebody the story that that had had been given to her when she was filming uh, Cleopatra. So so some of the stories were were invented for the jewels, I think. But I love this quote. This is um, Francois Curiel, who's the head of Christie's Jewellery Worldwide. And when he visited Elizabeth Taylor in 98 to appraise her collection, he said, At first it was the sheer volume that struck me, but gradually, as I examined each piece, I was impressed by the quality and variety in the collection. And the quality was the common denominator for every piece regardless of stone or size. And I, you know, her private collection could, would have been accepted by any museum. Was she really um, aware of the design and craftsmanship? Did she talk about that a lot and the history of these pieces? I think so. I mean, I, I know from my brief time with her, when we were looking at her jewels, one of the things that she had talked about was the quality of the emeralds in her Bulgari uh, suite that had gradually been given to her by Richard over the years. Um, And it was astounding. Those emeralds are absolutely extraordinary. So I think she had a great appreciation for quality. Um, She certainly, as Victoria said, she certainly liked en masse. So, you know, not everything in that collection was uh, an A1 Colombian emerald. She had gold charm bracelets and layers of necklace and necklaces and beads and all sorts of things. I mean, she did passionately love jewels. Um, it was one of the extraordinary things is that room, Victoria, you know, the, the, the room off of her bedroom that was kind of like a closet where all the jewels were kept. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was basically like kind of a, an old closet. Um, and then there were various safes inside of it. But and drawers. There were all sorts of drawers which just... Yeah. With drawers and then those those sticker labels that came from one of those, you know, guns that used to print out, you know, saying the emeralds or something, on just stuck on these drawers. It was extraordinary. But it was an entire closet. And we're talking a Hollywood closet full of jewels. So what do the younger generation in Hollywood buy now? What do they want? Gifts. They want gifts. (laughs) (laughs) They want, apart from being given it for free, I mean, say say the Kardashians, um, Martin, what what do they look to buy? Listen, they've all got armfuls of Cartier, you know, the the, the typical, the screw bracelet and the the nail bracelet and, you know, the, the sort of the fashion pieces. Um, but they've also got a lot of what I call more bling-bling type jewellery, which is the big chains parveyed with diamonds. And, you know, unfortunately, they haven't gotten into vintage because it would be so chic if they were wearing vintage. Chris Jenner actually has bought some vintage pieces. She's bought a few things recently at auction, a great turquoise suite and some pieces like that. But mostly their jewellery is more fashion-based, designer jewellery, you know, the the Van Cleef and Arpel, the Alhambra necklaces and things like that. So this is kind of what you see on on a lot of people in Hollywood, the more day wearable pieces that, that they sort of jazz up with some Parve diamond things for night. 
obviously the, the the big diamond is still a, a you know a major key the the big engagement ring or the big dress ring which will be a big stone we see a lot of but i think the younger stars again people like miley cyrus um they have been buying a lot of those rock and roll brands again like laurie rodkin and chrome hearts stephen webster um christina aguilera is a huge stephen webster fan um so yes we're definitely seeing some of the younger celebrities buying and wearing jewellery and, and wearing their own jewellery. But it's more rock and roll, more day wear. And what about the diamonds? Do they want to kind of out-diamond each other when they do buy them? There's definitely a bit of a, a, of a game of who can wear more. You know, I'm not sure quality is in the mix here. You know, I think, I think we're more about a six-carat diamond... Um, you know, like sort of a K diamond rather than a two carat D flawless. You know, it's more about the the wham bam, the glitz. I think these days than the quality. Um, it, and I'm generalising, of course. I'm sure there are people out there that that really respect the quality too. But but we see more glitz and glamour than than real fine quality. I think these days. But um, I think there is a return though a little bit with people wanting to show their own personality with jewellery. And again, I just believe it's much more in the music industry that you see people wearing. For instance, a lot of the, a lot of the rap stars, a lot of the people like Jay-Z and, and Kanye West, for instance, if we're going to talk about men, will wear pieces that are their own. You know, they wear their diamond chains and they wear their necklaces that have got their initials on, the big ID bracelets and things. Um, I'm actually loving the fact that we're seeing Hollywood coming back to men wearing jewellery. And the brooch, obviously, is making a huge comeback. They're, they're, in the last couple of years, there hasn't been a red carpet without a, uh, a Hollywood A-list gentleman wearing a diamond pin or some sort of wonderful pin attached to their lapels. Obviously, Elton John being, being one of our forerunners for that, um, he's incredible... Uh, pin that I think Theo Fennell made for him of the rocket that he wore on his lapel for his Oscar year before last, I guess that was now. But So that's great. Again, with Elton, the jewellery is all his own. He's as passionate about jewellery as uh, Elizabeth is. And uh, I've had the great honour of seeing his jewellery collection, which is pretty astounding. But, uh, but I think most of the male stars borrow their jewellery, you know, the pieces for the Oscars, the brooches and things. So when we talk, Victoria, about the glamour of the 50s and the 40s and these women buying or being given by sort of streams of lovers and husbands incredible stones and beautifully designed pieces, they would amass basically in that um, uh, sort of survival plan or pension plan for when they're roles dried up or their looks faded and they were left with this fantastic collection that would be very valuable. Do you think that was the case? I think it was part of it, but I think that was, don't you think, Martin, sort of general to society? Like it was part of women's sort of endowments. They had the engagement ring and then every year for an anniversary or things like that, they would get additional pieces and then end up with incredible collections. I mean, Actually, one of the more recent women who had an incredible collection was um, uh, Ellen Barkin. She had an incredible collection of Jarre, and that was through her wedding to Ron Perlman. And actually, during her divorce proceedings, that was part of 
a lot of contention, and I can't remember the exact details of the story, but she did end up selling her collection. For, for a massive fortune. For a massive fortune. But people like the, you know, Sally Aga Khan did the same thing. Um, obviously, there was some Duchess of Windsor sales. I mean, the, it's been historically the case in women married to powerful rich men who gave them the jewelry for them to have that as a, as you say, Carol, as an exit package. So I don't think it's common to Hollywood. Although, you know, back in the day, certainly a lot of the stars, if you think about people like Mae West, you know, who would collect a diamond bracelet from every one of her lovers, um, you know, those were certainly used in their retirement to help fund. <laughs> so, so I think it's a very good plan. I wish I'd done it. I love the quote when um, Ava Gardner was writing her um, autobiography in her later life. And they said, why are you doing it now? And she said, honey, I'm broke. It's either the book or sell the jewellery. And I'm kind of sentimental about the jewels. <laughs> so she wrote the book That's so she so could great. hold on to her jewellery collection. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I know. And I think it's, it's sort of a good point that, um, you know, the public wanted to see these women, as you said earlier, Victoria, that they had this idea that they were kind of royalty. They wanted them to look like kings and queens. And so the jewellery was very important for the public to see them look like that. And I think if modern stars don't dress like that, what, what do modern audiences want these stars to be? What do, they, what do you think they want from movie stars now? I mean, I, you know, it, it's interesting to me to look at somebody like Cardi B, who really shows herself leaving the mansion in some, like, crazy outfit with the crazy nails and going into her Rolls Royce and driving down the street to Hermes and buying the $80,000 Kelly crocodile diamond something, the 120000 or her. There's still um, a status symbol that's important to those people. And when you look on Rodeo Drive, which I luckily drive up and down on a daily basis, and you see the lines of people waiting in front of those stores, it has clearly translated that desire for quality, brand name recognition. Um, I mean, my hairdresser keeps texting me all these Vuitton bags, and she's a young 30-year-old girl, and she doesn't know which one she's going to get. And she's clearly saving money to buy something that is a recognizable, known brand and a quality item. So I think it does have that. And I think also that now we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of years. But I found that there's, I don't know if you have, Martin, a huge resurgence of wearing lots of charms, lots of layers, lots of chains, lots of rings. The whole fad of the piercings allows for wearing six earrings as opposed to two, like we did. Um, So I think there's a real desire for for jewelry. I think that women are more independent and they buy their own when they feel like it. But the influence of the red carpet is still the wanting to dream. So does it really matter that Lady Gaga didn't own that that necklace? She, She dressed up. She played a part for that one night on the red carpet and she gave everybody a dream of what it is to wear some huge dress that people need to help her get on the red carpet and walk in and wear the most amazing necklace that's ever been, most expensive, amazing necklace ever. And and in a way, as you were discussing earlier, maybe you don't get a sense of their style, 
but you get, you understand their character by their choices. So no, they don't have the innate style possibly that you can gather what that is, but their choices indicate who their character is and what they want to portray. And I think that's equally interesting in my opinion. I mean, there is untold glamour to seeing these stars dressed up for these events because it is, it is, it is fantasy. And we all want fantasy because we all want escapism. For those couple of hours you're watching those award shows, we don't necessarily really care who gets the award. We just want to see what they're wearing, what the jewellery is, and what the overall vibe is. You know, and that's actually the thing that you talk about for days afterwards, or months afterwards, and the world's press gathers forever. So, yes, there is something extraordinary about these events and seeing the glamour come to life, even if it is like Cinderella, just till midnight. Well, especially nowadays, I mean, looking at the Golden Globes and seeing that Anya Taylor-Joy wearing that extraordinary green Christian Dior couture dress with the matching shoes, with the beautiful Tiffany necklace that just fit perfectly with the dress. It, I found it quite extraordinary. It was her first time getting a nomination. It was her first award. It certainly must have been her first couture dress. And it, it portrayed what she wants to be on the red carpet. And, and it did provide, as Martin says, that fantasy and that escapism as we sat in our sweats in month number 12 um, to see people dress up and look fabulous and, and wear the jewelry. Martin, you know, you love jewellery and I know that you, you sell jewellery and you design jewellery as well at your design studio there. What would your kind of tips be for someone who wanted to, to start um, a little collection, as you said, to give them that Hollywood style, but the style that is their own and what should they buy and look for to get that? You know, jewellery is a very personal thing and it has to feel something, you, you have to feel something from it and it has to speak to you, I believe. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, uh, I love a good diamond band ring. You know, I don't think you can ever go wrong with that because it's something you can wear every day. It goes from night to day. Uh, a great watch because you can wear a great watch in the day with your jeans and you can also have it to help dress up what you're wearing in the evening. Um, as Victoria said, the, you know, the fashion at the moment is for charms. You know, all sorts of different charms that people are adding to necklaces, adding to bracelets. And there's lots of these wonderful little clips now where you can clip charms on and off of things so you can keep changing the look and the vibe. So a great chain that you can keep attaching your, your various different charms and things that mean something to you or things that get collected for you and with you along the way of your, your journey of life. Um, a wonderful watch like a great diamond band ring that will carry you through for all sorts of events. And of course, um, for me, for ladies, I think that one of the great statements is always earrings. I feel like earrings really finish a look. I think that they're so um, important because not only does it frame your face, it just is a great statement. And so one of the things that I love that we're seeing a lot of the designers doing today, even sort of people like Irene Newworth, who've become kind of quite a celebrity favourite recently, are doing things like little hoops that maybe they're little diamond hoops, but they also have the ability to attach a longer drop or a pearl or a stone to them. So they go nuit et jour, so they become, you know, night or day jewellery, 
which is so fun. It's interchangeable. So I love the fact that if, you, if you're starting out and you're obviously not on Elizabeth Taylor's budget, um, that you can buy jewellery today that allows you to be more versatile with it, where you can add and take things away from it to create different looks using the same pieces. I think that that's a really fun thing. Victoria, did, did your godmother give you any tips about what you should wear or buy when you grew up and were older? No, she just spoiled me, which was equally as nice. <laughs> what, what, what did she give you? Um, she always gave me a little, you know, earrings, quite a few earrings. Um, and, um, and she left me something quite nice that was sparkly. <laughs> um, you know, Vic, uh, Victoria, I love that, just going back to charms, your mom has great style and she always wore a gold torque with hundreds of gold charms hanging from it. Yes, amazing. And they kind of told a story of her life. They've been gifts from Valentino and from Audrey and where places she'd gone. And that's the kind of jewellery I think is wonderful because it does tell a story of someone's life. Well, it's lovely, I think, in, in, to, to your point, Martin, to buy things that remind you of a particular time or moment or a special occasion. So I would say that for young actresses, you know, your first big paycheck, your first award, um, or, or if you're not buying it for yourself, the fact that somebody gave it to you, then you always remember that. And you remember that story. There's something very sentimental about that. I do wish that you'd gotten to keep those uh, imperial Iranian turquoise you wore at your wedding. Yeah, those would have been nice. <laughs> I kept wondering if she was going to notice if I didn't bring them back right away. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I was too honest to test that. So did your, does your mother, did, is it quite heavy, the um, gold charms? Yeah, it quite is. Actually, I had the, um, the necklace made for her here. So it's just a, a gold, a firm gold strand that just hooks in the back. And then she adds, and people know that she has this, so she receives so many gifts of things to add to it. Well, it sounds lovely. Also, Elizabeth Taylor had her big charm bracelet, didn't she? She had multiple. Of which she wore many of them all together. Yes, a lot. So you heard her coming. Clinking and clink, 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 from here to here. You know, I, I, do, I do love, though, that some of, the, some of the celebrities have followed in Elizabeth's footsteps with collecting. Again, you know, obviously... Both Elizabeth and Madonna, and Tommy Hilfiger, for that matter, bought pieces from the Duchess of Windsor's collection when that was auctioned. Um, I think Elizabeth bought the uh, the fleur de lis uh, mm -hmm. uh, brooch, the Prince yeah. of Wales feathers, exactly. And um, and people like I mentioned before, Jennifer Tilly is a great collector of vintage, and she likes things that also have had a sort of a celebrity past to them. And so I think there is something quite wonderful about that. Um, here in Hollywood, we have Neil Lane, who is sort of a, a big celebrity jeweller and dresses many of the stars with vintage jewels, the same way that Fred Layton does in New York. But he has a number of, of younger Hollywood stars that he's trained into loving and collecting vintage. There's a particular... Well, I know Madonna collects uh, diamond, Art Deco diamond bracelets, as does Naomi Campbell. Um, so there are these younger sort of A-list celebrities that do collect and wear their own things, though, actually, just to drop that in because they have a passion for jewellery as well. I hope we see more of that, Carol, don't you? We want to see more of that. So that's your job there, Martin, in you're going to be the antique vintage jeweller to the stars. I think this is going to be your new role <laughs> to get them on the red carpet. 
You know, it, it's it's interesting because there there seems to be a a, a big upturn in very major jewellery at the moment. You know, the, those companies like Muad, for instance, that have these enormous diamond perreurs that you see. Uh, um, I mean, I guess a lot of it goes to the Arabian markets, but we're seeing now apparently very big jewellery is being bought again. Um, I'm not sure where it's being worn, but it is amazing to know that that's happening. And apparently during the pandemic, diamonds, the diamond business was thriving. So it is interesting that people, I think, were putting money into things that they thought were tangibly going to keep their value. And also celebrate, as you say, those connections and moments when people were at home thinking that their relationships were the most important thing. Well, I have to say during the more depressing moments of the pandemic, I would love to sit at home with all my jewellery on and sparkle all on my own. It made me feel so much better. Do a, li- a little Elizabeth Taylor on your own. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But thank you both. That's so illuminating to give us this glimpse of behind the scenes at Hollywood. And um... We'd rather call it sparkling than illuminating, Carol. OK, the, spark- the, the sparkling <laughs> behind the scenes at Hollywood is so interesting. Thank you both. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Victoria, for your time. Thank you, Carol. Sharing your stories. A pleasure. Thank you so much. There's nothing we like more than talking about jewels. Thank you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk, please go to the website, carolwilton.com. And if you liked it, please share it any way that you can. You'll find us on Instagram, where you can view images of the jewellery we talk about. And please subscribe to the podcast feed on any of the usual channels where you find your podcasts. And we'd love a rating and a comment. Don't forget to leave us any jewel-related questions, as we will answer those during each episode. And join us again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget, when I'll be talking to the stars of the new BBC Two show, All That Glitters, comedian Catherine Ryan and jewellers Sean Lean and Solange Azaguri-Partridge. I hope you can join us. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, Illustration by Geordie Labanda, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol Walton. <laughs> <laughs>